the Bible is not just a book of commands that God has given us to follow, but it's a narrative that unfolds through time and history with people that we're called to imitate. Maturity is caught as often as it is taught. We grow in our Christian faith, not just by hearing sermons and and reading books, but by imitating people whose lives imitate Christ. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But imitation goes both ways. We not only want to imitate the virtues of our forefathers in the Bible or the virtues of the people that are around us, but we also want to avoid their vices, their pitfalls, their sins. The Apostle Paul highlights the story of Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a warning to us, the New Testament church, to flee from idolatry or face his judgment. And this is because the Old Testament is not the history of a random nation lost in the sands of time. It's our history. It's the history of the church. This is Understanding 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul continues in dealing with a practical issue happening in the church at Corinth. Certain persons have elevated their status as enlightened because they possess knowledge that idols are not real gods. And the result is that some are attending meals at pagan temples to demonstrate their so-called freedom. As long as they know it's fine, who cares? Well, apparently God does. He cares not only for the weaker brother whose conscience is destroyed by seeing you eat meat offered to idols in a temple, but also eating meat offered to idols in a temple is bad for you because it is fellowship with demons. So you enlightened people need to be enlightened yourselves to the fact that you too can fall into idolatry. You too must flee from the things that Old Testament Israel was called to flee from. And so the rule for Christian freedom is not, what am I allowed to do, but what is best for my neighbor? And ultimately, how do I do this to the glory of God? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul begins by connecting the New Testament church with Old Testament Israel with the word example, or in the Greek, typoi. Now, that could be translated to English as type. So a type is like a shadow. If you think about a shadow, what does it do? It provides the outline of a person, but is not the person itself. And a shadow is meant to draw your eyes to the substance of a person. And in the same way, Old Testament Israel is a type, a shadow that points to the substance of Christ. And this is why Paul mixes New Testament language with Old Testament realities. The Israelites were baptized into Moses by the Red Sea, and they consumed spiritual food and water, a reference to the Lord's Supper, by Christ the Rock. And Israel was delivered by signs and wonders out of Egypt. And within a week, what did they do? They crafted a golden calf and rose up to play, which is a euphemism for sexual immorality. God is a jealous God, and idolatry is spiritual adultery. And the God who killed 23,000 Israelites in a single day and sent fiery serpents as a judgment against their grumbling is the same God who dwells among you. So the connection is clear that Old Testament Israel continues in the New Testament church in the way that a shadow points to the reality. And now that we are in the reality, now that we see Christ fully, whereas the Old Testament Israelites only saw him through symbols and types, the judgment is even greater, right? The same God who was there with the Israelites in wilderness is the same God who dwells with us, and that God is Christ. So Israel's story is our story, but also their consequences serve as our warnings. Do not make their mistake. Stay away from the pagan temples.
Paul even says that the narratives in the Old Testament were written as an example for us. They were written down for our instruction, verse 11, on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, as the New Testament church, we are in the final phase of God's plan for redemption, right? This is the last event before the coming of Christ, the, the, the church age, you could call it. And so Paul is saying that what happened before is an instruction for us living in this final age, this final period of redemptive history. So the warning is, don't be proud. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, right? You are just as susceptible to the temptations of Old Testament Israelite as the Old Testament Israelites were. So you need to be on guard. They weren't on guard. Look what happened to them. Don't let that happen to you. But attention arises in this text. Paul affirms that neither the food nor the idols are anything. But then he says, eating meat offered to idols in a temple is participation or fellowship with demons. So that word is the Greek word koinonia, which speaks about fellowship between people, a community relating to one another. Or you could use the word communing with one another. It's about communion. Meals are about communion, about fellowship, about relating to one another. So when you sit down for a family dinner, you're not just consuming food in the presence of other people, but you're participating in a relational act. Context matters. Idols are nothing, but demons are real. And he seems to indicate that demonic spirits use false pagan religion in the form of idols to ensnare people even those who consider themselves enlightened, even Christians. This is why Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 17, which is from the Song of Moses, which talks about how Moses rebukes Israel for sacrificing to demons rather than God. So the implication is clear. God's people can participate in evil sacrifice. So they must be careful about the context in which they're doing things. It's one thing for you, you know, to do yoga stretches, just to do the movements. It's another to do them in a classroom where your instructor is surrounded by crystals telling you to get in touch with your inner light, okay? You might feel unaffected by it, just like a person in the first century might feel unaffected by eating meat offered to idols in the temple. But that doesn't mean something isn't happening. And we have to be very careful that we're not fellowshipping with demons. We must not be proud or arrogant like the Old Testament Israelites were thinking, oh, because we're free, we can just dabble in all of these dark types of things. No, context matters. Don't go off into the temple eating meat offered to idols during a pagan ritual. That's not how it works. And don't say that, oh, well, I know it doesn't harm me because I know there's no true gods in the pagan realm or, or I know the true God and who he is. No, you can still be participating in something dark even if you feel, quote unquote, unaffected. Now, the reverse is true as well. When you share a meal with idols... You are fellowshipping with the demons that are behind them. Conversely, when you share a meal with Christ, you are fellowshipping or communing with him. This is why the Lord's Supper has been traditionally called communion. Meat is nothing in itself, but when used in a pagan sacrifice, becomes fellowship with demons. Bread and wine are nothing in themselves, but when used alongside the word in the act of the Lord's Supper, it becomes real fellowship with Christ. And Paul's going to talk about that a little more in the next chapter, in chapter 11. But Paul is trying to make them understand that God will not tolerate us eating at someone else's table. It's not only communion with God that happens at the Lord's table, which is 
what Paul refers to as the cup of blessing, but also communion with one another because we're one body. So to commune at another table is not only to break fellowship with God, but with your own family, with God's people. Now, what about outside of pagan temples? Well, Paul applies this principle in a similar way. If your pagan neighbors offer you a steak, eat it without a guilty conscience, right? Paul says if, if, if you go to a dinner party and they offer you meat and you don't really know what it's been through or whether it's been used for ta- uh, pagan sacrifices, just eat it. That's fine. Your conscience can be clear and you don't have to worry about it. But there's an exception. If, and I think he's referring to a weaker brother, is sitting next to you and he says, they offered this meat as a pagan sacrifice, don't eat it. Why? It's not because you're fellowshipping with demons in that instance, right? You're not in a temple, you're not offering a pagan sacrifice, but because your weaker brother might be tempted. It might sear his conscience. Now, Paul kind of threads the needle here. He says, don't abstain because it's wrong for you to eat the meat. Because he says that your conscience should not be held hostage uh, to the other person's weak conscience, right? Or, or he literally says that, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So he's saying, no, you can eat the meat, that's fine. But consider your weaker brother. Your conscience is not determined by their weakness, but their weakness should inform how you use your freedoms. So hold your freedoms loosely for the glory of God. This is why Paul, in the beginning, he, he kind of quotes the Corinthians, one of the things that they're saying is all things are lawful. You know, they're elevating themselves. We have Christian freedom. I can do all things because I know that God is the true God and these pagan gods aren't real and I can eat meat and it's fine. But Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful, right? All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And that's the point, building up others in love. So your freedoms are not for your own self-indulgence, but for the good of your neighbor. So yes, you are free to eat whatever is sold in the meat market without any question of conscience, and you are free to eat whatever is set before you when pagan neighbors invite you over for dinner. But when you see your brother, your Christian brother, struggling with what you're doing, when you know that they have a weak conscience, you should abstain. You should pull away because love demands that of you. It's not that your liberty is determined by their conscience, but rather your love is what binds your freedom, or whether your love is what motivates you to hold your freedoms loosely for the sake of building up your brother. And it's interesting because in chapter one, Paul says that Jews and Greeks find the gospel offensive. And he says, let them find it offensive. That, that's the point. But here in chapter 10, he tells us to let that be the only thing that they find offensive, right? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So in chapter one, he's saying, let the gospel be offensive. And in chapter 10, he says, don't let you be offensive, right? Don't raise a stink if it's not an issue of the gospel. So Paul is very careful in the language that he uses. We must flee idolatry and be honest about ways that we are cultivating fellowship with darkness in our practices. And we must also recognize we do have a freedom of conscience, but that freedom of conscience must be tempered by love and a desire to glorify God and to build up our brother, to glorify God and to build up and honor our weaker brother. Our freedoms were given to us that we might serve others. 